It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our host, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. Ready or not. How are you? I am good. How are you doing? You surviving I'm the heat? Good. Yeah, nine eight, 104, 106 this week. Today's relatively cooler. 98. It's like, woohoo. Oh, a cold front. <laughs> That's right. Meanwhile, you're like, uh, we're getting there and it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it is getting warmer out here and we we definitely uh got a hit of the humidity. So on Sunday and today, the temperatures were in the 90s, but with the heat index and the feels like temperature put it like 101 yesterday and 103 today. But that's not actual temperature, that's just feels like heat index temperature. But so we started off yesterday morning working outside and then decided screw it and loaded up and made an hour drive into uh go watch maverick top gun <laughs> we went to a movie theater instead <laughs> oh that's a good one because you're in the ac at that point that's right set inside in the air conditioning i had to pick up some wood and stuff anyway so made a made a trip out of it went over there went to home depot went and watched a movie and just stayed inside ac places where it was nice and cool good for you well i started my beekeeping day early I uh, picked up a bunch of things and I took it to the bus because I need to load up tomorrow early and move some bees. And I don't want to do it. Top bar hives, especially natural. Oh, no. Yeah. When it's super hot like that, that's that's almost uh, when the sun's barely coming up, if not starting before, because it gets hot fast. Mm -hmm. Oh, the joys of Texas that I don't miss. (laughs) Yeah, and it's very early for for the season, right? So I don't know what summer is going to be like, but we're all worried about the dirt. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys had your first 100-degree day uh, a while back. You had your first 90-degree day in, like, February or something. So it's been extreme, and they they I heard the little, uh, little birdie told me that Austin, Central Texas, is expected to have one of the hottest summers on record, so brace yourself. <laughs> yep, and we already broke the record on the highest utility consumed in Texas, oh. uh, and that was this week. Ouch. Ouch. Oh, yay red, for ERCOT. Red that's not ready to sustain cold is not any more ready to sustain hot. Yeah. yeah as I was going to say, they're not, they're not good on extremes in either direction, unfortunately. So, no. so what are we talking about today? Well, you mentioned moving your top bars. I was going to start off by giving you an update on my top bar conversion. And uh, I think we're going to kind of focus around that. I do have one little side off tangent on a nectar flow type thing. But so I posted out there on Instagram, I sent you some some photos and videos as well. The top bar conversion from the Langstroth nuke that I have in the corrugated plastic easy nuke box over into the top bar hive, which is a full top bar hive minus the end piece for the one side. They it took them about four days And in four days, they built out their very first comb on the bar and they were festooning on three more bars. So when I first looked down inside there, I could see that they were all festooning out. And I was like, yay. Then I had to slowly separate them and pull it out and look. 
And they had started two individual combs and then grew them in, merged them into one. And you could still see the kind of the double hump at the seam in the middle. Of course, both of those were drone comb because in the nuke, the only thing they had the opportunity to do was worker comb. So the first chance they had, they built the thing of drone comb, which I, I will eventually keep moving that out because I usually personally, whenever I do a uh, top bar in their building, I take that first comb that they build and I keep progressively moving it one bar back. When they start their next one, I flip-flop it so that they've got that solid comb to help keep everything straight. It's your follow board. So, we do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a drone comb, so I don't care. It, it just keep moving <laughs> it to the back. <laughs> so, but they're doing good. Um, I have not checked them again yet to see how much further they have made it uh, as far as additional combs. But my thought process, and this is just kind of, I want to be able, and I don't know that I'm going to be able, but I want to be able to do away with the nuke box, the corrugated plastic nuke box before winter. That's the, that's the plan, quote unquote, hopes and goals there. But my thought was, once they start really building into this and the queen moves over there and starts laying brood, mm -hmm. I, I'm this, and again, hypothetical, going to take one of the plastic queen excluders. And I'm going to slip that between the corrugated nuke box and the top bar. So the queen is now trapped on the other side, which will allow all of the brood inside the nuke to emerge and move over and her not to be able to go back and repopulate. So therefore, again, fingers crossed, hopefully they will then utilize that to backfill. And then that can be reserved food stores or can be extracted or whatever. And the nuke box can go away. But to safely and comfortably do that, I need to have at least 12 bars of comb built so that they've got enough inside there to have food stores and make it through the winter. If they only make it four bars, I'm going to need those five frames so that they've got the space, which then may mean I have to insulate that box because that corrugated plastic box is not going to overwinter. So I, I would have to insulate it to make it work. Okay. <laughs> Here's the deal on that. And of course, it might be colder where you are. But those those are the easy nuke corrugated plastic white boxes that a lot of beekeepers um, breeders sell their nukes into, um, and they're by nature have got a layer of air in between because it's corrugated plastic, right? There's also a lot of aeration little holes on all four sides. So um, when I first started doing this last year, I I didn't do anything within one of my colonies. I was like, well, I'm just going to leave it and see what happens because they were doing really well. They were strong and, and uh, I didn't even tape up the holes or anything. And it overwintered really nicely. Actually, nice. it's the strongest one in the, uh, in that apiary. That's shocking. Uh, yes. But what I've started doing now, every conversion, as I install it, I will tape up all the holes because I don't want those cross, cross drafts. I find them very uh, stressful and or energy demanding, right? Because they're counterproductive to them efficiently aerating or, or controlling the airflows into their, their colony. So now whether it's hot or cold, it's gonna be taped up. So in that case for the winter, it's even more insulated if you'd like, then I'd left them all with the holes open. But this being said, they propolize all the little holes. Yeah, right? they will. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're good about if there's a draft and they don't want it, they will close it. <laughs> and those are tiny holes. So they were really super easy for them to, to clog up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's my thought that, and again, that's my plan. And if I can keep them going and I intend on feeding them to keep this up cycle of comb building and, and also brood rearing and stuff going so that we can build out as many combs as we possibly can, because that's the goal is just being the top part. You know, I, I, I want to be able to take that conversion end off and put the cap on it and call it good. And it just be a self-sustained colony, but that is the, that is the ultimate plan. Now we talked last time briefly about how I did the the modifications on you know the different plans my original hive versus your hive versus whatever scrap material i could find to build the the right. end cap because i didn't i ran out of the two by so I, I i had a choice i either have it for an end cap and a shelf or i had it for bars and i needed bars to fill up the rest of the hive so it became bars and then scrap material became my temporary shelf and then i can i've already went and bought when we were when i just mentioned we were actually uh, at Home Depot this weekend, I bought more two by, so I'm good. Uh, when it's ready, I have a piece that I can stick up there. But that was the plan. Now you were showing me some stuff earlier, and we can talk about it here briefly about other types of conversions. But what we'll do is we will actually do a little demonstration video that'll come out to our B Academy members, um, where you'll actually be able to go through and see how this all works and kind of what the thought process is. But you have made in addition to your normal blow your mind, wow, like, oh my God, you can do this and just stick a nuke box up there. You have kind of made permanent nuke from Langstroth to top bar conversion sets that you can right. allow them to transfer over into. And they're made out of solid wood. So it's more of a, that's why I say permanent, permanent. kind of structure. So the, the thought was, well, people are not always wanting to mess with those easy nukes and take apart their hive and just kind of do, do all the screws and the cutting the holes and strap in or whatever. It's, just, it's super easy, but it's still, you know, there's some steps that are, and we can talk about those uh, recommendations that can create some issues if you don't do them um, that way. And, and some people just don't want to mess with it, right? So enter the conversion Langstroth nuke, five frame Langstroth nuke, two top bar nuke. And basically it's a, it's it's super simple, right? All we did for the prototype is uh, take, a, we made up a nuke box, a five frame nuke box on one inch lumber. And we took one of our five frame, of, of uh, 10 frame um, top bar nukes that's also on one inch. And we took out the end piece and we put some, um, attachments, you know, extra pieces of wood to tie both the nuke and to both nukes, basically. And then we drilled a hole with a hole saw uh, right in the center under the bars uh, for the bees to communicate. The thought was, and I've talked over uh, this with Les, is basically in structures when bees um, um, build in soffits and, and uh, under eaves or under, you know, basements or whatever that is, whatever that's called, cross space. Is that right? Yeah, what, and your that? floorboards and stuff, crawl yeah. spaces. Yeah, and then you have uh, joists and things that sometimes they have to jump over and they won't skip a beat, right? They'll just jump over and reset their building to a new spacing, right? Otherwise they follow the, the, the B space, but in that case, that resets it. 
Yeah. So Les is like, that's fine. We're going to pretend this is a joist and we're going to put a spacer and then you can put your bars because the spacer, you just don't want that first comb to be just like in a regular top bar. You want a spacer at the beginning because you don't want them to attach that first comb to the wall, that right. flat, because if it's too close, it's violating the B space and then they're not going to use it, but they're going to attach it to the wall, right? Yeah. So by simply putting that, um, that uh, spacer, we've got it going just the same way they would jump over. And I was worried about that whole saw because I like cutting the entire uh thing and i was telling us this is my concept what do you think i want to cut all this stuff but it's a little bit more involved and blah 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 and that's it takes more precision up. cutting and and that takes more time than just making yeah. the hole. so he says that's fine and and so we haven't put it in practice yet but you know because my brain starts bubbling and <laughs> and i came up with that you know new conversion system now all of a sudden i'm like well okay that these conversions, they have to leverage the nectar flow and the strength of the colony to build faster, right? Right. A smaller five frame new colony is not as strong as your big mama Langstroth that you have in your yard that's been there forever that you don't want to convert necessarily. You don't want to split it in five frame nukes. You don't want to do that, right? So instead, why don't we keep that same principle, take the little top bar nuke, eight to 10 bars, Take out that end piece, attach it to the slot, to the bottom, um, to the brood box of your very large, it could be two deeps, three deeps, whatever. But at the bottom brood box, you attach your uh, top bar nuke and you do that little hole saw and you put that space there in your bars. And now you have a brood factory, right? Depending on how you manage your, your colony, if you've got a queen excluder above, the queen can only use that bottom brood box and the and go into the top bar as soon as they've got some stuff built up. If you don't give them more space, they only have one way to go, right? Right. And you can also use that trick of the queen excluder and you don't have to make it even that big. You can have a little square of queen excluder that you slap onto that hole. Right. Right. And now you can keep pumping out those top bar nuke splits, right? And you take that old queen, you take five, six frame uh, bars of uh, comb um, with um, brood and food. And you sell those puppies. And in Texas, let me tell you, those can sell for 350 bucks. And you haven't impacted that much your big, large colony because uh, for them to make a new uh, queen cells, that's not going to be that much of a deal, right? Right. That deal. So that's that's my thoughts. And I'm like, at this point, everybody can do that. All you need to do is put together a little tabarnook and then take out the own piece and slap it there. And then yeah. if you want to make it a more permanent version, you use two inch lumbers for better insulation. And, there you go. And, yeah. Then it can so, overwinter that way if it needs to as well and, and yeah. be well insulated and be good to go. That works. And that's, that's actually utilizing a concept of where you've got your Langstroth equipment because a lot of people may have started with the Langstroth. You can always get an extra 10 frame box and mm -hmm. build this attachment that's going to go onto it, do that hole saw. And, you know, as you mentioned, the, the soffits and things like that, in the wall joists, your two by fours, the studs in the walls, oftentimes there is a hole that's between half an inch to one inch in size because they run the electrical wires through it. Right. And I have more than once been on a job site where there was a bee removal in a wall. We open it up and here's the column where they're at over here and all the broods here. And then you see that comb goes through the wall and you open up that other side and they've got all their stores over there 
because mm-hmm. they've they've transitioned and kind of moved over to the side of it. But they use that hole through the two by four to right. access the adjacent cavity and then fill it up once the first one was full. So same concept of what they would do there. I do like the fact, though, that you're able to go through and now that you've got this top bar nuke attached to the Langstroth, yeah, when you first do it, you know, you, you're going to have to take frames and put them into your Langstroth, switch that box out for your bottom box if it wasn't already that way. Because you don't want to try to drill the hole in it while the bees are in it and, and everything else. Oh, that, I would. That, they don't really care that much. No, they, 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 I, they, it's kind of like doing a removal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've drilled entrances in the top bars with the bees. Like, you know, they have one entrance and they need a secondary one. Yeah. I've drilled those holes all the time and they don't care at all. Now, a hole saw right there, you know. Uh, right. Well, but my, my other thought, too, is you got a frame there. And as you're doing that hole saw coming through, oh, if you yes. slip, you're going to, you're going to gouge the comb and take possibly yeah. kill bees. And maybe if your queen yeah. just happened to be right there at the time, like I, yeah. I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> assemble yeah, your, back. Yes. assemble your box separately. And then right. put, you know, just when you're doing your next inspection, trade out that bottom box, put right. all the frames in it, then put all the rest of your regular boxes up above. Now they can transfer over into that. And then you're right. Say you leave that set up permanently, that Langstroth colony can be a nuke factory and you can right. make every other colony that you do from that can be a top bar. And right. you're just taking splits by taking the frames that are in that box out right. and letting them start over. And right. that sounds like a great plausible plan. So it works. Now let's talk about your conversion and this one because all the conversion lengths trust to uh, top bar are the same principle. Uh, did you? I have a question for you. Did you manipulate the frames in any way on your Langstroth nook when you installed it, or did you leave them as is? I did manipulate them because I wanted to make sure that the brood nest was going to be adjacent and growing into the top bar. So as I was going through, we had one frame that had a lot of food and one frame that had, well, like capped food or open nectar, one frame that had a lot of pollen. So those went on the outer edge of the nuke box. And then the frames that were actually in there and open uh, to the next two were capped brood. And the third one was open eggs and larvae. That is the one that's right up against the corridor going into the top bar. So that way it can grow and expand. And the the principle of that, um, again, for those of you out there who are on the B Academy level, you can go back and look at one of the, I think it's the top bar management uh, part two, or I don't remember if I did them as one video or two, but it talks in there about like coming out of winter, you're going to possibly have bars or comb of solid capped honey capping off the edges of the brood nest and winter management coming into spring, you want to take those, move them over against the edge so that you have a continuous area for the brood to expand into. So I use that same logic with the nuke box to put it in there. Now I didn't want them to be stopped and be like, no, 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 there's honey there. We can't go that direction. <laughs> or swarm on you because they're right. stuck in that box, right? Uh, so that's the one one big thing that you need to do. Obviously, catching uh, the beginning of a nectar flow is a great idea as well, if it's possible. But otherwise, uh, like you were saying, if you really want them to um, build and it's not necessarily a big nectar flow, uh, feeding them is going to be uh, important. There's another suggestion I'd like to make. So uh, it used to be that those nukes came in with five frames and yours probably did um, five. Very good. Um, in Texas, things are getting so competitive and, and there's so much demand and, and the supply obviously is limited. 
that now those uh, nooks come in with four frames for the most part and a feeder frame. So that yeah, feeder frame- And you're being yeah. charged as if you're getting six I frames. Know. <laughs> yes. And that feeder frame to your point goes in the back away from the top bar um, at the outer edge and then that brood to the front. But the other thing is that you could also remove that feeder frame feed them in the top of our hive, and then put uh, a bar from your top of our hive, 19 plus inches, 20 inches preferably, and put it right there in your middle of your brood's nest, especially if they're in an expansion mode, they'll start building on that bar between those two frames and you'll have a comb you can of, move it uh, over. that you can seed your top bar with if you don't yeah. have it. Yeah, if, same concept as if you've got two boxes of the exact same size and you add a box and they're not moving up, you take a frame out of the other one with brood, move it up there, they'll move up into that area. Same concept with that. If you start the top bar with a single bar and start the Langstroth box, which needs to be, it's about 19 is about right to fit on the ledges of that Langstroth box, set it down in there, they start building comb on it, then you move it over to the top bar side. Before they get too carried away, you don't want to wait until it's a giant rectangle they right. just start drawing the first combs, move it over. And then, yeah, you've got a, a comb for them to start on. So my backup plan, because there was one frame in my nuke that was foundationless and did not have wire in it. It was pure foundationless frame. So my backup plan that I, I was prepared to do, I made one of my rescue bars with the hardware cloth hangers. And I was intending on, if they hadn't started building out in there, taking out that frame and then cutting it right down the middle, well, horizontally down the middle, and then taking that lower section, trimming it at an angle so that it fits the shape of the nuke box for the, or sorry, the, the top bar, and then hooking it to my bar and putting it in there just like I would do with a regular removal. So if I'm opening up a cavity and I'm cutting out that comb and I'm putting it into my removal boxes, that's how I do the removal process. So I, my thought was, worst case scenario, if they don't start building in here, I'm gonna take that foundationless frame treat it like a removal, cut that brood out of there, hook it onto my top bar, put that into the top bar side, and that will encourage them to move over and build from there. But luckily enough, they already started building combs, so I didn't have to touch it. Very good. So I love your instincts, and that's a good point. Um, and, and then you want to avoid the honey, right? Because you don't want to hang that from that rescue bar. I'll do you one even better. Uh, if they do build out, whether on the top bar or the frame, and they do build out that entire frame, instead of cutting and trimming on both sides, what you can do is cut straight in the vertical in the center of that frame, going up and down, and then cut those sections and use two rescue bars. Make two out of it. Each. So you make very minimal cuts that way and you have two of them. Even if it's not the shape of that half hexagon, it's okay. They'll as long as it fits. That's yeah, right. as long as it fits. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can get too deep. Yeah, right. you might have to trim the bottom. But yeah, as long as it fits, then that, again, that goes back to the removals. You, you know, they're in a wall cavity. <clears throat> they're building a square or a rectangle. And it it may only be four inches wide and it may be three foot long or it could be turned the other direction and it, it could be, you know, just strangely shaped. So sometimes you will come across comb that has the brood in it and you cut out that section and you put it in there. It's not the shape of what the cavity is in the new box, mm -hmm. but they will grow it just they, as they would if they started it naturally inside there. So after a little while, they'll come through and they'll start working on the edges and they will actually draw the rest of that out to fit the shape of the new container 
So yeah, you can, you can do it in strips and, and make extra bars out of it that way as well to help encourage them to come over. The only thing I would uh, put a caveat on is if you have an explosive nectar flow, they tend to curve those combs. As they get heavy, yes. Honey, right? And so if you have just those squares, more or less, on your rescue bars, you might want to watch it. And you might have to butter them up so that they don't stick out so much and, and create, you know, curving. Yeah, that happens on when you have expansive that was not the way I wanted to start that sentence. When you have explosive growth, not expansive, but they are expanding. When you have explosive growth in a top bar and they're building combs very quickly, they are also backfilling. And as they start getting into that deeper part of it, they before they even have the chance to start building the next one, they've made the previous one fatter sometimes even in the middle. And so then that next comb has this curvature on the outside in the center that can cause cross combing. Or as you said, the edges, they will curve the edges because a curved structure supports more weight than a straight one. So they'll start curving them or they'll fatten up the edges where they're storing the the honey in that arc. And you got to be careful of that. If you catch it in advance, you can use your hand and just very gently fix it. But if it gets out of control, you're going to be in there with a knife trying to make things fit. And that's no fun. And it's messy. (laughs) So my favorite thing. So first intervention is with your hand, gently pushing back, you know, moving the bees out of the way. Molding it. (laughs) Yeah. Second intervention is with your hive tool. You butter up that fat comb to, so that it doesn't stick out of your bar. When when you say that, what are you meaning? Are you meaning like just use your hive tool and and, and push it? Yeah. Push against it and that butter. So you're smashing it kind of with the, with the hive tool. Yes. Yeah. And then if that's, even fatter than that. And that obviously I'm going to make a huge mess. If I do that, I'm going to take my two favorite tools are a steak knife, dollar store, kind of a steak knife or a box cutter. And I stick out the blade all the way out, you know, the cheap ones. And then I cut it. Yes. I cut it and I cut it straight down so that the piece of wax and honey that's sticking out is peeled off. It's kind of like a uh, peeling, just kind of like pull out the entire piece so that it hangs straight down from underneath the bar, right? So those two tools are very useful when you're doing natural comb. And it's not just for the top bars, it's also for any kind of natural comb building you do with your hives. Uh, the steak knife is my favorite for cutouts, basically. We just did one with the apprenticeship and it was amazing to use those uh, dollar store kind of steak knives. All right, They're- so... You did great there because I literally just <laughs> ran off and left you hanging. I was like, hang on just a second. Keep talking. <laughs> and then I ran away. Um, the hard part was trying to decipher what you were trying to tell me. And I was like, oh, I think he wants me to continue. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> well, it dawned on me that this is actually, it was sitting on the other side of the room back behind me. And I wanted to show you this. So this is a watermelon knife. Yeah. It is very similar to a bread knife, except... It is pointed, it is skinny, and it's serrated. And these things, H-E-B, for you down there in Texas, H-E-B, usually when they have their giant bins of watermelons, they'll have this hanging off of the bin, a whole group of them. And they're green and red and black spotted. I mean... It looks like a watermelon. The handle is the green and the flesh, the seeds is the blade. I'm in love. It's so pretty. So this thing is... (laughs) Uh, about a foot and a half, maybe long. So like 18 ish inches or more. 
So it works amazing for working your top bar. You can get it down. Like if they've attached to the sides, you can get it in there and, and separate it pretty easily. That's what I use when I'm doing removals. It reaches pretty far back into a soffit area or something. It's sturdy and strong. So you're going to be able to cut through things. And with the serrated edges, that's why even if like the steak knife is perfect, the um, a bread knife, a true bed, bread knife has serrated edges to it. And this thing has serrated edges. That's okay. going to help you cut that comb way easier. But that that's mine right there is a watermelon knife. And when you started talking I about the it. knives, I was like, oh, I got to go show you. <laughs> I'm going to add that to my uh, toolbox. Um, and, you know, because the, the steak knife is also great because it's flexible and it can go in small underneath the comb and all that stuff. Sometimes you don't have the, the space for the bigger to yeah. the long tools, right? But that's going to definitely go in my toolbox. That's it's a great. it's an amazing thing. And at this time of year, it's in your grocery store. And it's, I mean... Yeah. I might be $4. I don't know, but I mean, it's not a huge expense. It might even be two 99, but, um, I bought like, I bought one the very first time I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And of course it was because like one of my family members was like, Oh, this looks neat. This is cool. Look, it's a watermelon knife, quote unquote. <laughs> and my first thought was bees. <laughs> and so, so I bought one, used it, loved it, and then dropped it down the interior part of a freaking chimney. So it's now in the wall of someone's house where it's never going to be found until the house is demoed. So the next season, when they ended up showing up in the stores, I was like, I want four. <laughs> I want backup. Yeah, about 12 steak knives because I lose everything, right? Yeah, there's, there's got to be one in the truck. There's one in the beekeeping, actually, like in my, um, I don't even know what, a, what I call that thing. It's my carrying bag, basically, that it's like a little whatever. Um, it has a proper name. It's a, it's a tool men's type thing that you carry okay. around with you. Kind of like a little, uh, caddy sack type thing. But so there's one in there. And then I have one in my box of random power tools and like there's one in the house right. <laughs> everywhere. Well, I, don't I like hive tools. I don't know if we could use it. Um, Georgia was talking, she's the new president for the HCBA since that stepped down. Right. And she was like, well, I went to work some Langstroth and they had supers on top and they built so fast that there was honey everywhere. And then the boxes were connected by honeycomb. So when she tried to separate them, she couldn't. Yeah. Uh, basically, it just made a humongous mess. There yeah. was, you know, honey dripping on everything. It was super heavy. Bees were unhappy. They were drowning. Um, and so maybe that's something that could help, but I told her use a, a wiring, like a, the wire. Yeah. Here and just, you know, with two little pieces of wood and, and run it through, but that might be a tool that she might be able to use. And that goes to say, you know, even with the Langstroth, when you have an explosive growth, you have issues with the top bars, but you have issues with the Langstroth as well. Oh yeah. 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 I would say this, this does work, but I like your, uh, what do they call it in uh, psychopath terms, a garrote. Oh, <laughs> so you, you do, you know, like it's like piano wire, you wrap it around and you pull it through. But in reality in beekeeping, it would be the same concept as your war a hives. Yes. When they build the comb down, you've got to separate it and you take a wire, just like if you were doing a cheese board, you know, you pull that through. I think the wire is actually the better option there 
because you get a thinner, cleaner cut. You go straight through and you can pull it through without trying to pick up the boxes and move them. You just got to get it started. So um, this, though, it, it does have its uses. I will say that. But I like the wire better for that scenario. So nectar flow wise, uh-huh. there are two things blooming around here at the moment. One of them is very obvious that uh, we know the use of it. Uh, clover is mm-hmm. everywhere, everywhere. They've the there's a school nearby and the school, the property, the playground, the track, the football field around it all of it is clover they've mixed it in with their grass and they mow it but at the moment it's all in bloom and our neighbors um just out randomly sides of the roads clovers everywhere so that's awesome because the bees love clover and clover makes a decent honey so i'm cool with that the next thing which unfortunately is probably more prolific at the moment than the clover is queen anne's lace Mm-hmm. And Queen Anne's lace is uh, also known as a wild carrot. It looks similar to two other plants. It looks similar to beggar's lice and it oh, looks similar to hemlock. So you got to be careful and make sure if you do have something out there that it is not hemlock, make sure it doesn't have any reddish color to the stems before you touch it with your bare hands. Um, but if the stems are all green and stuff and it kind of has the leaves like a carrot top would, it's more than likely going to be either the beggar's lice or the Queen Anne's lace. Beggar's lice makes small white individual flowers. Queen Anne's lace makes a giant cluster that makes like a flat open top of solid white flowers, but they're all kind of tightly knit together like a lace. I had to start doing some research because I was like, that crap is everywhere. And I really didn't want to say crap. Um, Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. And so I was like, do the bees partake in it? Do they get anything from it? So I started looking it up and I found this is all common old wives tale passed down my grandpa said like it's all i could find was that kind of stuff nothing truly legit i found one remark that queen anne's lace supposedly only produces nectar every so many years which that seemed odd to me because that would mean that the same plants coming back up from root like a perennial and it had a weird cycle to it but then i saw another post that made more sense where they talked about the fact that in reality queen anne's lace produces nectar at a very specific time of the day and after rainfall. So people have fields and fields and fields of it, and they never see a single bee out there on it, but it rains the day before and the next morning for two or three hours, there will be bees everywhere prolifically going and harvesting this. I'm like, okay, well, that's awesome. Cause there's a lot of it. Dot, dot, dot. The next section says queen Anne's lace nectar produces a foul B.O. as in body odor aroma and will foul up the taste of your honey and your nectar harvest. So it's best to leave it for the bees and not let it adulterate your normal Ah. nectar flow. (laughs) That's good to know, right? It's kind of a goldenrod kind of a concept. It is, but I have come to love goldenrod. When goldenrod's mixed with false willow, it is my absolute favorite honey. False willow with the oh yes that's makes for like a lighter caramel color with a really floral taste very right. super floral you end up with a honey that has that strange goldenrod smell but mm-hmm. it tastes like a bouquet of flowers it is that's awesome right. and it's very contradictory between those two aspects but <laughs> 
So that's my favorite. I have some still squirreled away that I will not let anybody have. It's mine. <laughs> I started collecting all kinds of funnies and sometimes it will be, uh, I won't even know what it's from, but the taste is so amazing that uh, for like honey sensory classes and just kind of experiencing the different styles of honey, uh, I'm freezing it, right? I'm yeah. marking it. And then I'm freezing it, dates and, and whatever I think is in there or what the kind of taste it is. And I'm just saying, I've got those little jars in a special freezer for those. That's awesome. Well, I'm unfortunately like kind of at a loss because as we discussed previously, I was not able to get the information that I needed from the local individuals here oh, okay. on the nectar flow <laughs> and the flowers. Um, so that was kind of my whole like, all right, well, I'm driving. Let me see what I can identify or I'm out for a walk. Let me see what I can identify. And then what I can't identify, let me look up. And, and I try, it started getting hot enough here now though, that the only time I can go out for a walk with the dogs is late in the evening. And by that point, a lot of the plants have stopped, especially if it is very hot and you're, you're possibly in a dearth with no rain. Um, the plants are going to be producing nectar then. So check different things. If you see something blooming, go out there and check it at different hours of the day. It might only produce nectar in the morning or the afternoon or the evening. So there may be a reason you're not seeing bees on it. And it may be that it has a very specific time that it attracts those insects versus yeah. not at all. So, um, but that's what I've been, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I've been trying to figure out. And then I saw that part about the Queen Anne's lace being like BO and stuff. And I was like, Oh no. I yes. want to show you, I've got an app that's called Picture This. Yep. And all you do is you aim at the flower that you want to look at uh, information for. And then you take a picture and it analyzes it for you. And then it tells you all kinds of things about that plant. And then you can add it to your library. So that can maybe potentially help you. There's plenty of other ones, right? But I really yeah. like this. The and picture, picture this. I will take a look at that and see. So I have an Android phone. And there's two different things that you can do on that. You've got Google Lens, which is built into the phone, where you can take a photo or you can take a photo with Google Lens and it will automatically search, search. <laughs> it'll automatically search all of Google's network to see if it finds matching images and then give you information about it. Oh, yeah. But there was a there was a plant app as well that I had for a while, but I don't remember what it was called and I didn't like it that much because it was all community based and yeah you would post something on there and it might be a month before somebody would respond. So that became tricky. Um, if you were trying to figure something out in real time, that was a little bit tricky, but I'll, I'll take a look at that picture it and uh, see if that helps out too. Cause at this yeah. point it's uh, it's every bee for themselves when it comes to figuring things out around in these parts. <laughs> but I think that you probably have more than just two beekeepers in your neck of the woods. So there maybe are. somebody else might be able to help out. There, there are, but as, uh, as my mother pointed out, every time we have a conversation with somebody and they bring up something like that, I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. Oh, cool. Well, awesome. <laughs> and then like I leave and she's like, so I noticed how you conveniently didn't mention who you are, what you do, <laughs> what, right, what your you're title right. is. <laughs> Magneto, you're just there with, you don't want to, you know, tell anyone who you're. Yep. I'm just like, yeah, you're right. I didn't. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that, that's, that's where I'm at at the moment is, uh, there are, there is something out there producing nectar. I know there's a lot of clover, so hopefully it's that, um, I haven't smelled in my very few hive inspections that I've had to do since I got them. I didn't smell anything that came across as BO. So I don't think they're bringing in Queen Anne's lace. I'm not going to get a honey harvest this year anyway, so it doesn't honestly matter. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah but it's, I, I mean, 
that is part of being a beekeeper is you have to know the ebb and flow of what's out there and what is affecting your colony. And by God, I would like to know <laughs> what the nectar flows are here. <laughs> I am so excited for you that you're back in the game and you've got bees to, you know, think about again. That's right. And, uh, and suit up and go out and, and Hooker. sweat. and. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the club. Oh, uh, so the other thing we talked about last time, I took the flypaper tape and oh, wrapped yeah. it around the legs of the top yeah. bar to try to prevent the out. carpenter ants from getting in there. I went out and I looked. Oddly enough, I caught a fly. <laughs> <laughs> there were no bees stuck to the paper, but there also were no ants stuck to the paper. But there was no sign of ants up on the actual hive body itself nor inside the colony. So... I don't know if like they came up and they they try, but they don't try enough to get stuck and then they they leave or if they just haven't bothered it at all. Um, but I, I mean, I'm going to take that as a win so far. It's working. Even if they're not stuck to it, they're not getting up into the colony. So right. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully it's a good deterrent or maybe, you know, try removing them at some point also and see if they come back. I don't want to, I don't, that sounds like a, a gamble, like Russian roulette. I don't know uh, that I, I'd rather just leave the them. I'm putting it around. You might as well leave it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Cause I mean, I went through several pair of natural gloves trying <laughs> to do that. That stuff sticky. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I have learned so far, and this will be something that eventually I I'll put out there on, uh, on the main pad podcast, probably incorporated into the season four material. But when you're in a forest, and there is a solid canopy, you do have to make some considerations on where your colonies are going to go and how things are going to work. Because traditionally, your bees need a landmark. They need a point of sight, be it a giant tree in the middle of a field or something to help them hone in on where they're at. And if you put a hive somewhere and the bees do their orientation flights and then they fly up out of the canopy of the trees and from above, it's just solid trees. There's no openings. There's no nothing you no longer have any landmarks. So, yeah. (laughs) So I had, I strategically prepping for this had started thinking about that. And the places that there are obvious landmarks and clearings were a little bit too close to the actual house and the chickens. And I didn't want the bees there. So I had to find large landmarks, like a large Oak tree that went up above the canopy and then make a clearing of, on one side of it so that there was actually an opening in the canopy that now you can have this big structure to identify and the opening so that when they're flying over, they're like, oh, there's my tree. There's the opening. This is where I go. Right. Yeah. And so that was different. That's something that I've never had to do before. Um, considering where are you going to put your hive and how are they going to find themselves once they come back? You know, because they're not going to leave the hive and go flying aimlessly through the forest. They're going to go up and out and then down to the food source. You know, they don't, they don't, (laughs) they don't go through the trees. (laughs) You know, they, they, they just navigate. Yeah. 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 So that was another learning curve that I'm working on at the moment. I've spotted a couple of other places for future expansion, just right here around my own property. Um, and then the, the adjacent properties that other people own that I've got access to that they've agreed to have bees on. So slowly, but surely I've already dulled the teeth on one set of chains for the chainsaw. (laughs) You've been busy. Got that a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but anyhow. All right. Well, I think that is it. Uh, do you have any other little announcements or anything? 
No, not right now. I'm just kind of trying to recover from the whole bee season and, and kind of settle in a little bit more. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Um, don't melt and uh, stay hydrated. <laughs> Same to you, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in for another beekeeper chat episode here while we talk about conversions of Langstroth over into top bar. Not that we're insinuating everybody should be, you know, making top bars, but it's fun. <laughs> so yeah. we appreciate you tuning in and listening to us and we look forward to talking to you next week. But until then, as always, be good. And be mindful. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are a bee's knees. <laughs>